All right. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope that you have your Bible with you. If not, I encourage you to go find one in your house somewhere. Uh, if you don't have one, let us know. We will get a Bible to you so that you can follow along as we study God's Word together. Last week, we started a new series of sermons on the life and ministry of the prophet Elisha. We started in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we looked at a scene where Elijah finds him. Elijah finds Elisha and essentially calls him out to be his disciple, who will one day take over the prophetic office from him. And I told you last week that the Lord still calls people today, still calls people like this today. First of all, He still calls people to Himself for salvation. Uh, and we want, to, we want people to hear the voice of the Lord calling them out of the grave and into life. That is the most important call uh, that God issues to people. And He also calls people into service to His kingdom. Sometimes in unexpected ways, sometimes it's counterintuitive, um, sometimes it's subtle the way he calls people into service uh, to him. Sometimes he calls them not into a lead uh, role in service, but into a second chair role of service. But the Lord is calling people. In fact, we've talked about this uh, kind of quite a bit around here recently that we want to see the Lord calling people out to serve him in new and interesting ways. And we said that no matter what he's calling you to, whether he's calling you to salvation or to service in his kingdom, the only proper response is to follow him. I told you pointedly last week that you are not better off where you are if the Lord is calling you somewhere else. Uh, the world may try to convince you that you are better off here with all the comforts that America provides. But if the Lord is calling you somewhere else, you are not better off here. You are better off where he would have you to be. And we talked about families that we have sent out from here that the Lord has called out and sent out the O's and the T's and the Thompson's and the drones and other folks who are scattered all over the place. And I get excited when we talk about those kind of things because I wonder who's next. I wonder who's the, who's the next family that the Lord is going to raise up. Who's the next individual? Who's the next retired person that the Lord is going to raise up and send out to do incredible things um, on the edges out there in the darkness? Well, this week... We're going to see the spectacular end of Elijah's ministry, uh, and we're going to see the spectacular beginning of Elisha's ministry. So it's 2 Kings chapter 2 is where you need to turn today. 2 Kings chapter 2. I preached this same text way back when we were looking at the life and ministry of Elijah, and much of the application that I'll make today will be the same as I made that day. Uh, I'll give you bonus points if you can remember what those those points of application were. Um, much of it will be the same, but it was super interesting to take a look at this text again with my eyes fixed on Elisha rather than Elijah. Last time we looked at 2 Kings chapter 2, we were, we were really focused in on what was happening with Elijah, but here today we want to look at it and see what is happening with Elisha. And there's a lot of ground for us to cover today, and there is a lot for us to see. So we're going to study today 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. God's word says this, And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, do you know 
that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now 50 of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Verse 11 says, As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces he also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would teach us today what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give us a single-minded dedication to follow Jesus, to take up our cross and follow him, to live as he lived and to be lights in the dark world. We pray that our eyes would be so fixed on Jesus that the things of this world that used to entice us and draw us away would grow dim and even disgusting to us. We pray that you would also help us to lead others to follow Jesus. All that we would be saying as the Apostle Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ. Father, we ask that you would help us hand off the baton well, knowing that our time here on this earth is short, but your kingdom is forever. Guard us from selfishness, and give us hearts for the next generation of disciples and leaders, both here in our local church and around the world in your global church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a lot of ground to cover and a whole lot to see. Look at verse 1. It says, It came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. The first thing I want you to notice here is that the exit of Elijah is front-loaded in this story. It's not as if his departure is a surprise really to anyone in the text today. seems like everyone knows it's coming. As you read the text, Elijah knows it's coming. Elisha seems to know it's coming. These sons of the prophets seem to know it's coming. So we're not in this narrative building some kind of suspense or some kind of surprise, but what we are building is a sense of anticipation. 
So think of this kind of like Christmas. Christmas doesn't surprise anyone. We all know it's coming, but yet in the days as it approaches, our sense of anticipation is building. And that's what's happening in this text as we move toward this moment when Elijah is taken up. Like everybody knows something's about to happen. We just don't know exactly when or exactly how. Notice also the language that's used in verse 1. He is going to be taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. This is not the normal language for someone's death. In fact, Cooper Thompson helped me see that it's not even the normal language of the whirlwind as it appears in the Old Testament. Usually, the one who is the object of the whirlwind is not being celebrated, but is rather being condemned. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a form of judgment, usually, if someone is taken up by the whirlwind. But here, obviously, it's unique as Elijah is being celebrated um, uh, and the Lord's work in him is being celebrated. The Lord was not in this whirlwind in chapter 19 when Elijah was at his lowest and, and wanted to die, but here he was going to be taken up in this whirlwind to heaven. And the final thing I want you to see in verse 1 is, is, is that this journey starts in Gilgal. And if you were going to plot all of these places on a map, one of the things you would notice is that they're going to travel not a huge distance, but they're certainly not moving in a straight line. As Elijah and Elisha walk together, as, as Elisha approaches this moment, when he, Elijah, when he's going to be taken up, they're not traveling in a straight line. They're, they're kind of wandering around. So Elijah is taking Elisha on this wandering journey just before he hands him the baton. And that in itself is a little bit curious, and we'll kind of see what that means as we move along. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? He said, Yes, I know. Be still. We want to think seriously about what is going on here as Elijah seems to try to convince Elisha to leave him alone. One scholar, in talking about this, used the language of, he seems to be trying to shake him. I'm not sure that's what's going on here in this text. But we'll see more as this develops. Is Elijah trying to get rid of Elisha, or is there something else going on as he talks about this? But all of this encounter, all of this exchange between these two men, reminds us of the story and the conversation between Ruth and Naomi. You remember this, right? Naomi moved to a foreign land during a time of famine. She left Bethlehem to go off to a foreign land during a time of famine. Her sons, while she was there, married girls from there, and one of them was named Ruth. In the process, Naomi's husband died, then her sons died, and eventually she decided to go back to Bethlehem, to her hometown of Bethlehem. And when she decides to go, she tells her daughters-in-law to go back to their homes and not to come with her, right? She's like, you're, you're going to be better off back in your father's house. If you go to Bethlehem with me, I've got nothing to offer you in Bethlehem. And one of them quickly turns. One of them quickly turns and goes back to her father's house. But you may remember that Ruth, Ruth says, no way am I leaving you. And she makes this great declaration of loyalty that we see in Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Then she said, this Naomi talking, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods, you return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, 
I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more, more to her. So in some ways, this is a profession of faith from Ruth. And it seems like Elisha is doing a very similar thing as Elijah tries to get him to stay. His commitment, Elisha's commitment to Elijah is strong. Remember last week we talked about this. Even as he is called out to follow Elijah, he burns the ships. Remember that language from last week? He burns the ships as he left his old life in order for a new life of following Elijah. We sang a song last week along these lines. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. One of the stanzas of that old song is, though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And we see that very much in Elisha's life here as Elijah says, stay here. And he says, no way, I'm going wherever you go. When they arrived at Bethel, we're introduced to these sons of the prophets, these sons of the prophets. We haven't seen them before and we're not gonna see them much after this. And there's a lot of speculation about who exactly they are. It's most likely that these are faithful men in various cities who know the words of the prophets, who believe them, and help them spread the word. They may even be disciples of the prophets in some way. Maybe even specifically, these guys are disciples of Elijah, who is kind of the chief of the prophets at this point. Question is often raised, are these guys good guys or are they bad guys? Are the sons of the prophets good guys or bad guys? Well, they're probably good guys, but they are certainly not perfect guys. And we're going to see this later next week. They're going to they're make a pretty big mistake. Um, and it seems like there is some tension between these guys and Elisha. It seems like there's a little bit of tension between the sons of the prophets and Elisha. And, and maybe one of the reasons why is that Elisha is going to be clearly treated as the firstborn son, the favored son, who is given the double portion from the father. They may be sons of the prophets. In other words, they may be sons of Elijah, but he, Elisha, is the son of e Elijah, that he takes this prominent position. And so maybe that's creating the tension. We'll see, we'll see more of that in just a minute. They know what's about to happen, these sons of the prophets at Bethel. They know what's going to happen with Elijah. We don't know exactly how they know this, if the Lord revealed it to him, if Elijah told them this was going to happen, if, if some other prophet told them this was going to happen. We just don't know how they know, but they knew. They were ready for it. And, and we'll see it play out more in verse 4. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. So I, I was reading the right verses there. That's almost exactly the same as the scene we just saw, but it repeats itself again. It's basically an exact rep uh, repetition of what we just saw. One scholar, as I was studying through this, took a pretty interesting perspective on this whole text, and he basically talked about the stories that surround each of these locations in the history of God's people up to this point. 
Like, what was happening at Gilgal? Why is Gilgal significant? Why is Bethel significant? Why is Jericho significant? And why is the Jordan River significant? All of that is fascinating. I'll just tell you, all of that is super interesting. And I would encourage you on your own time, maybe to study through this text that way, to look at the history of those places. What did God do at those places um, that, that he's trying to remind Elisha about as he takes the baton from Elijah? Well, regardless, once they arrive at Bethel, Elijah once again tried to get him to stay and go no further, but Elisha once again refuses. And it seems clear at this point that what's going on is that Elijah is testing the faith and the faithfulness of Elisha. Will Elisha take the easy out or will he continue to walk as a disciple even if life gets tough? At this point, we're reminded of Jesus calling his disciples and speaking to them about the cost of discipleship. Jesus didn't call men and say, hey, follow me because the road is easy, the path is soft, everything is cushy, and you'll have plenty uh, to satisfy all of your wants. No, Jesus says what to his disciples? Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You've only known how to fish before. I'll make you fishers of men. He says, come, take up your cross and follow me. He says, come and let the dead bury their own dead. The call to discipleship under Jesus is a call to faith and faithfulness. We must learn from Elisha in this text what discipleship looks like. He is willing to walk the long road with Elijah. How much more should we be willing to walk the long road with Jesus? Because Jesus is better than Elijah. We have not been called to follow after Elijah. We've been called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no mistake. Jesus calls us to follow him for the long haul, not for a season, not while it's convenient for us or comfortable for us or popular amongst our peers. Jesus doesn't just call us to tag along for a little while. He calls us to follow him with all of our lives for the rest of our lives. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 16, speaking pointedly to his disciples. He said to them in verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We can learn a thing or two from Elisha and his discipleship under Elijah, what it looks like for us to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. It says, Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. This is more of the same, but it's leading to a conclusion now. At Jericho, Elijah asked him to stay, but then he travels on to the Jordan River. And that's where it gets interesting. Look at verse 7. Now 50 of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle, that mantle, that cloak, and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. I noticed as I was studying this week that the old King James Version says they were divided hither and thither. Hither and thither. I told you when we looked at Elijah's life that it was interesting to compare and contrast the ministry of Elijah with the ministry of Moses in the Old Testament. There's a lot of parallels going on here between the ministry of Elijah and the ministry of Moses in the Old Testament. And this scene at the Jordan reminds us of Moses at the Red Sea. 
Reminds us of Moses at the Red Sea. Elijah, he was a man like us. He was a man with a nature like ours. The scriptures tell us clearly. But he was also a man of power. God's power was on display throughout his life. It's important to note at this point in the text that this miracle of dividing the Jordan River and crossing over was witnessed by 50 of the sons of the prophets. They saw what happened here as Elijah parted the water and he and Elisha went across. And that sets the stage for something that's going to come later in the story. The fact that these 50 guys saw this happen sets the stage for what is to come. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 and 10. It says, When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. This conversation between Elijah and Elisha is why I think he wasn't trying to lose his protege along the way as they traveled, but rather he was testing his resolve. He was testing his resolve. And having proven himself faithful, Elisha is now given an opportunity to make a request of his master. And there are a couple of ways we need to think about this request of the double portion. His master says, ask anything. Before I'm taken from you, ask anything. And he says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Well, what does that mean? The first thing we must do is recognize that historically, the language of the double portion would have instantly been understood by the readers as an indication of the position of firstborn son, which is a position of favor. It's a position of authority. It's a position as the clear heir and the successor to the master, to the father, so to speak. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 17. The connection between the double portion and the firstborn. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17 says, But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, there's a little bit of context there, um, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength, to him belongs the right of the firstborn. So this idea of the firstborn son getting the double portion is clearly established in scripture. And so what Elijah is doing, Elisha is doing in this request is he is essentially asking to be Elisha's successor, to be seen as and treated as Elijah's firstborn son, the one who would be the heir, the one who would be the authoritative uh, recipient of all that was his. This would set him apart from and really above these sons of the prophets that have watched all of this take place. These other guys who are sons of the prophets, Elisha would then be over them in authority over them. If you're having trouble thinking about this, this, this business of firstborn son, uh, maybe think back through the story of Jacob and Esau and how important it is that someone is considered, someone is pointed out and recognized as the firstborn son and all that comes with it, the transmission of the covenants even. Or think of Joseph and his brothers and this this right of being firstborn. So first thing is that historically, there's a link between double portion and the firstborn status. Secondly, this makes us think about when the Lord spoke similarly to Solomon in the Old Testament. Solomon, who, who basically God says, hey, ask me, ask me anything you want. You, you've been faithful. Ask me anything you want, and I'll grant it to you. And remember, Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom and not riches and a long life. And similarly, Elijah asked for something that would not benefit himself primarily. 
but he asked for something that would benefit the whole nation of Israel, a double portion of the spirit of his teacher, not so that he will be puffed up, but so that other people can be served. And if you remember the story with Solomon, he asks for wisdom, and the Lord says, man, you've, you've made a great request. I will not only give you wisdom with which you can serve the, the nation, but I will give you all those other things that most people ask for as well. I will give you riches and power and honor and all of these things. And in a similar way, that's going to happen with Elisha. He's going to ask for this double portion, which is essentially the status of firstborn, but he's also going to be given uh, an extra measure of power. So finally, when we think about this request, it also makes us think about Jesus and his promise of the Spirit to his disciples after his resurrection and ascension. Jesus says that it is to their advantage and our advantage, really, that he goes away because then the Spirit will come. Look what he says in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. So there's a very similar thing happening here with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah did some great things and, he, and Elisha says, give me that spirit uh, and, and even greater things will happen. As we read the story of Elisha, you're going to see that he serves for twice as long. He serves for twice as long as Elijah and does twice as many miracles. And so there's some real parallel here between what Jesus says to his disciples and what Elijah says to Elisha. So bottom line, in asking for the double portion of his spirit, Elisha is asking to be the successor. And he will not just be granted that role of firstborn son successor. He will also do double the miracles as his master, although that's a secondary thing. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. I want you to just put a little pin in that, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Uh, that's going to come up again at the death of Elisha. And we'll talk more about what that phrase means there than we will here. Notice it says that as they were going along and talking, this happened. They were going along and talking. These two men were going along and talking, and that is huge. This is the context of discipleship. This is the main lesson I want you to see between the relationship, in the relationship between Elijah and Elisha is what discipleship looks like. It's the key really to our application today. They walked together and they talked together. They walked together and they talked together and that's what discipleship looks like. But then the text tells us how he left the earth. What a way to go, right? This faithful servant of the Lord on his darkest day asked the Lord to kill him. He was down and depressed and discouraged and asked the Lord to kill him. And this faithful servant of the Lord never died. The Lord never honored that request of Elijah. He never experienced death. He was simply translated to heaven without tasting it. What a spectacular scene, right? War vehicles, chariots made up of fire, pulled, pulled by horses made of fire, and he is taken up into a whirlwind. Notice, though, Elisha's response. He tears his clothes. He tears his clothes. On the one hand, this is an obvious symbol of grief, an obvious display of his grief over the loss of his master. 
of his friend, of his mentor. There is grief on the one hand, and on the other hand, it's also a pointer of the transition that has taken place in his life. He's tearing his old clothes in two because the old life that he had been a part of was over, and he's entering into a new phase of life. Even as he sees his teacher taken up to heaven in such a glorious way, it causes him sorrow. It causes him sorrow. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that we uh, do not grieve like the rest of the world that has no hope. We grieve. Christians grieve. When we lose someone we love, we grieve. It is right. It is good that we would grieve our loss, but we do it with hope. And that's part of what Elijah is, Elisha is doing here. As Elijah is taken away, he grieves, but he does it with hope. Look at verse 13. It says, He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the waters, they were divided hither and thither, and Elisha crossed over. This is cool, right? And, and the way Elisha does this puts all of the emphasis on the Lord. When he strikes the water, it's not, check out what I have done. It's not, look at how awesome this mantle is. It is, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? It is the Lord's power that is on display as these waters part. Remember the request that Elisha had made. He asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and he got it. He got it. It's already at work in him. He has taken the baton, and he is going to continue the work of his mentor. That's what discipleship looks like. They walk together, they talk together, and at some point, Elijah passed the baton to Elisha, and he took it and started to run. He's going to take the baton and continue on the work of Elijah. He will work for twice as long as Elijah and perform about twice as many miracles as his teacher, and it all starts right here. Now, remember I told you about the parallels between Moses and Elijah. Well, Elijah is like Moses crossing on dry ground, and Elisha is like Joshua taking up the baton and also crossing on dry land. Um, Moses hands the baton to Joshua, just like Elijah hands the baton to Elisha. And what I want to pose to you is, to whom are you handing the baton? Like, who's coming after you to continue on the ministry that you are doing? Look at verse 15. It says, Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, and they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed themselves to the ground before him. I told you earlier that it's important that these 50 guys saw Elijah part the water to go across. It's also important that they saw Elisha do the same thing when he came back. And these 50 guys, at least at this point, these 50 guys draw the right conclusion. He's taking over for the teacher. He will continue to do the work. Elisha is the successor to Elijah. In the life of Elisha, there is a clear continuation of the work of Elijah because it had always been and would always be the work of the Lord, ultimately. It's not ultimately Elijah's ministry that is continuing, but it's the work of the Lord amongst his people through Elijah that is continuing in the life of Elisha. We want to see this same continuation of ministry. We want to be passing the baton on to the next generation. Because God is going to continue His work. He is going to continue working amongst us in our community and around the world. 
And we want to be glad to be a part of that work, and we want to be glad to see that work continue on after we are gone. So when we zoom out of this text a little bit, we see that there are two kinds of lessons to draw out of this. One is a lesson in typology, and the other is a lesson in discipleship. We'll spend most of our time in application on the lessons in discipleship, but I want you to see a little bit of a lesson of typology here. And by that I mean that Elijah is very much a type of Christ in the Old Testament. He's a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and Elisha is a type of the disciples of Christ in the Old Testament. He's a shadow of us, ultimately, in the Old Testament. So there is this parallel between the life of and ministry of Elijah and the life and ministry of Jesus. And then as Elijah hands the baton off to Elisha, there's a parallel between the way Jesus hands off the baton, so to speak, to his disciples to continue the work that he was doing, to continue to uh, do the Lord's work on the earth in his name. Does that make sense a little bit? So there's some typology here. That's what, that's what theologians call it. Scripture calls it shadowing, foreshadowing of what is to come. We see a lot of it in the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha. But the big lessons for us to take away from this are in discipleship. Elijah and Elisha had an interesting and exemplary relationship, right? It's good to explore what we can learn from Elijah and Elisha. But I want to tell you that someone better than Elijah has come. And we are called not to be disciples of a man. We are called to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is calling people to follow him. He is calling people to be his disciples even today, which is crazy, right? It's crazy that the Lord would, would look around, like, no, no offense to the guys in the room, but it is crazy that he has called us. It makes more sense that he's called Laura because she's lovely, um, but it, it doesn't make any sense that he has called us to follow after him, right? To, to be his disciples. We are not worthy of such, are we? No. But he has done that. He's called ragtag bunch of guys and said, hey, follow me and I will use you to turn the world upside down. Follow me and I will use you to change lives and hearts. Follow me and I will use you to display my glory on the earth. We do not deserve that. Amen, guys? All we deserve is the holy wrath of a holy God against our sin. We deserve judgment and wrath for all of eternity, and yet He, in His grace, has reached down and forgiven us through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. He has forgiven us. He has cleansed us. He has adopted us into His family, and He has put us on mission for His kingdom. He's put us in play as soldiers in His army. This is incredible that we have been called not to be disciples of a man. We have been called to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe he's calling you today. Maybe today is the day you're, you're sitting at your tax collector booth. You're adding up your columns. You're out there fishing. You're doing what, what you do. You're farming. You're coal mining. You're teaching. You're nursing. You're doing whatever you do. And the Lord Jesus is walking by today and he's saying, you, follow me. I'm telling you, follow him. Follow him. There is nothing better. You're not better off where you are than following Jesus. Follow him. He will give you life and hope and he will use you for the sake of his glory on the earth. So these guys, Elijah and Elisha, there's a lot for us to learn, but we want to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be a disciple like Elisha was. 
We want to be a disciple of Jesus like Elisha was a disciple of Elijah. We want to heed the calling to come and follow Jesus. We want, we want to drop it and go. We want to go not just when it's easy, but go forever with everything we've got after the Lord Jesus. We want to be like Elisha, faithfully learning, faithfully following, and faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Faithfully learning, which requires effort, right? We've got to study to learn. Faithfully following, which may require sacrifice, right? It may require giving some stuff up. If Jesus says, go this way, that means I've got to leave everything over here to follow him. And faithfully serving, faithfully giving ourselves, because that's what Jesus did. He doesn't just call us to follow him the direction he's going, but in the work that he was doing, in the life that he was living, a life of service. He said, he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Even when there might be an easy way out during a difficult time, we want to be disciples of Jesus like Elisha was, saying, I'm going where you go. No way am I staying here. I am going wherever you go. Sometimes life gets hard as a disciple of Jesus. And sometimes we think it would be easier just to, just to get out. Just to get out, just to give up, just to quit. I remember not too long ago, I talked with a, a local pastor friend of mine uh, in the midst of a crisis in my own life. And he said this to me. I'll never forget it. He said, anyone can quit. Quitting is easy. That, that kind of changed my life in that moment. Anyone can quit. Not everyone can persevere. Not everyone will stay with it. You don't want to be anyone. You want to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be a quitter. Keep following him even when life is hard. Maybe it's really hard for you right now. So we want to be a disciple like Elisha was a disciple. And secondly or thirdly, we want to be a disciple maker like Elijah was. We want to be a disciple maker like Elijah was. We want to be issuing the call for others to come and follow Jesus. We don't say primarily to people around us, come follow me. Like, I want to be really careful with that. I want to be really careful that I am not creating disciples of Chris, that we are not creating disciples of Joe or disciples of Dylan or, or disciples of, of, of anyone else. We, we want to be creating, we want to be facilitating disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to take our cue from the Apostle Paul who says, come follow me as I follow Christ. Like we never want to leave out that last part. Come follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be a disciple maker means to be faithfully teaching, faithfully leading, and faithfully equipping those who would follow Jesus as we follow Jesus. We want to faithfully teach them. Elijah evidently taught Elisha a thing or two about the prophetic ministry to the point that he was ready and willing to say, I'll go wherever you go, and I want, I want a double portion of what you've got. Secondly, we've got to faithfully lead. We we've got to be willing to say, come follow me as I follow Jesus. And that is heavy. That is a heavy thing, a humbling thing, right? To, to be out front in leadership in the church say, saying to people, come follow me as I follow Jesus. We want, to, we want to walk carefully then, and we want to be faithfully equipping. This is what we want to do. And this is maybe the, the main emphasis of all of this today, is that part of what it looks like to be a disciple maker is to be equipping people so that you can hand the baton off to them so that they can run. It's one of the things I'm super excited about right now in this season at First Baptist is these three young guys 
who are going to serve as ministry apprentices here at the church. To, to be able to equip them, even if it's just for a short season, as younger men, so that they'll be ready to serve as the days come. We won't be here forever, right? We want to be ready to hand off the baton to the next generation. And not only ready to hand the baton off, but glad to do it. Like glad to do it. I, I, want, I want to be that guy. I want to be that old guy in particular, who is not begrudging the youngster who's coming behind me, but is glad to say, oh man, take this and you run like crazy. You run like crazy because you can run faster than I ever did. Want to be equipping guys to be ready for that. So we want to be disciples of Jesus like Elisha was a disciple of Elijah. And we want to be disciple makers like Elijah was. Teaching people, leading people, equipping people to follow well after the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's what we want to do, it has to happen as we walk together and talk together as believers. Like this kind of stuff cannot happen if we're always apart. If we're always apart from one another, it will not happen in isolation. And that's a hard lesson to teach right now. That's a hard lesson to teach right now because in many ways we are isolated. But man, in a thousand other ways, we are not. We are not completely removed from one another. We have access to each other. We can see each other's faces. I mean, think about just how this is happening today. You can see my face on your computer screen. You can hear my voice over your radio. We have means, even though we're not face-to-face -face with each other, to still be connected with one another. We don't have to be isolated. We can maintain our connection with one another, even through the coronavirus. This kind of walk together, talk together, disciples and disciple makers will not happen in isolation and it will not happen without intentionality. It will not happen unless we pursue it. Like, like hear me, if, if you want to see the next generation raised up, if you want to be handing the baton to the next generation so that they can run well, you've got to do that. You've got to pursue that. That's not going to happen as you just sit back and do nothing. We want to be teaching and leading and guiding. So my question for you as we wrap all of this up is who is your Elijah? Who, who is the guy out ahead of you teaching you, showing you, equipping you? And like, you know how the baton exchange goes in a race, right? Uh, it's not as if the guy who was running just completely stops and the guy behind him crashes into him. No, they, they almost run alongside each other for a little while as they hand the baton off. My question is, who's that guy out in front of you a little bit who you've been following after, who now has his hand back and is ready to pass the baton to you? Who's been teaching you the way? Who's your Elijah? And then who's your Elisha? Like, who's the one that you're looking back to make sure he's back there so that you can hand the baton off to him? Who's the one that you are leading, teaching what it looks like to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe God's design is that the ministry would continue, that it wouldn't stop after one generation dies. That's God's design. And his design for the continuation of the ministry is discipleship, is interpersonal discipleship as we walk together and talk together about what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for lessons about discipleship here in Elijah and Elisha's life. We want to be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, faithfully learning and following and serving. We don't want to quit when life is hard.
quitting is easy. We want to persevere in this walk of discipleship, even down the hard road. We want to be faithful disciples, and we want to be faithful disciple makers, faithfully teaching and leading and equipping, glad to hand off the baton to the next generation of workers, of leaders. God, show us, show us who is ahead of us that we can follow after, and show us who is behind us that we can lead, so that your work here in Harrisburg, your work here at First Baptist Church of Harrisburg, your work all across the globe will continue for the sake of your glory. Help us to respond rightly to your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Stand and sing. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy through every trial my soul will sing no turning back i've been set free Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. Christ, my all in all. The joy of my salvation And this hope will never fail Heaven is my home Through every storm My soul will sing Jesus is here To God be the glory Everything I need I have decided to follow Jesus No turning back No turning back I have decided to follow Jesus No turning back no turning back the cross before me the world behind me no turning back no turning back the cross before me the world behind me no turning back no
everything I need. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. No turning. 